I want you to imagine that you and a group of, let's say, six of your closest friends get together every Friday night to play a game of Monopoly. You play every Friday night, and every time you play, you pick up right where you left off and play the same ongoing game. Now no, I don't know why anyone would put themselves through that, but for the sake of argument, just imagine that you do. Now you resume this Monopoly game every Friday, but before you start playing, you pick someone to be the banker. Everyone votes, you can pick anyone. Only for the last three months, the group has picked Charlie every time. Charlie is smart, he's attentive, and he's good at numbers. He, unlike many of you who don't want to be bothered to have to pay attention so closely to anyone else's turn, actually wants the job. For the most part, you guys have been having fun playing every week, so why change it up? Only lately, something's not right. You notice that Jim and Stacy, who admittedly are a little better friends with Charlie than the rest of you, and who in fact suggested him as the banker in the first place, seem to be doing better at the game than usual. It seems like they are a little bit richer than they should be, and you begin to suspect that Charlie is slipping them a little extra cash. You begin to suspect that Charlie is cheating. What do you do? This is not a trick question. It's a board game. The answer is pretty simple. You would watch Charlie a little bit closer. Perhaps make him count out the bank's payouts a little bit more clearly in front of you. You would call him out. The next time you guys play, you might suggest that someone else be the banker. The group might disagree at first, but they would all watch Charlie a little bit closer after that. And if his cheating persisted, and certainly if it was to the disadvantage of the majority, Charlie would no doubt be ousted from his position. Or not. But if that did not work, what other choices would you have? Quit the game? Make up an excuse why you don't want to hang out with your friends anymore on Fridays? The point I'm trying to make here is that, if you want results, if you want change, vigilance and accountability is always more effective than disengagement. And that brings us to what we want to talk about today here on the premiere episode of Isle Sides, which is voting. In an election where Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are the only two realistic candidates, it is easy to see why many would be led to the conclusion that there is no point in voting. Whether or not you think all of the criticism of either Clinton or Trump is justified, both are objectively and historically disliked and untrusted, and dissatisfaction with politicians, and in fact the whole political system, is sky high. Why would I vote for a candidate I don't believe in? What is Clinton or Trump going to do for me? How have they earned my vote? Why should I think that they have my interest in mind when you look at their records? What has voting gotten me in the past? These are all legitimate questions and all ones we hope to address individually throughout this episode and this podcast. But since the frustration with voting is frustration with a two-party binary choice, Clinton or Trump, Democrat or Republican, let me put things in perspective with another binary choice, to vote or not to vote. That is certainly the question. Now, when faced with the prospect of not voting, I'm at a loss for what the benefits of that choice might be. I challenge someone to point out any historical evidence where choosing not to vote made a difference for anybody on any issue. When did opting to sit out of the political process that, like it or not, dictates the future of a society ever benefit the people who sat out over the people who did not? I can't think of any. Silence can speak volumes, but not in the voting booth. When politicians and political parties regroup after an election, they look at exactly who voted as the blueprint for how to curb their future appeal, how to stay relevant, how to stay in power. Staying at home does not say you, politician, don't matter. It says I don't. In fact, I would argue that the only way to justify not voting is to say that the outcome of an election is totally 100% meaningless, that government performs no differently under liberal or conservative rule in any single observable way. That, by the way, is objectively ridiculous. Voting is our voice in the democratic process, for better or worse. 
Now you might say, but Alex, there are other ways to make a difference besides voting, like protesting, or advocacy, or alternative media. But the opposition to voting comes from a dissatisfaction with the political system, and all of those things are part of that system. All of those things, in one way or another, come back to voting. Indeed, at the core of every major social or political movement, from women's rights to civil rights, has been voting, changing the laws and the people that make them. Shy of taking up arms and mounting a literal violent revolution, voting is the only best way to reform the system that makes us all so angry. And by the way, I would argue that you, American voter, are just as responsible for the state of that system as any politician. After all, you chose them. So it strikes me that the question is not if Americans should vote, but how. And I don't mean just for who, but on what set of principles do we decide? And what should we expect in return? What is needed is not more cynicism, but a fundamental change in how we view the role of voting in our democracy, a right so many have very literally died for in the not-so-distant history of this country. That is what we hope to do, at least in part, today. So let me bring in my co-host, Nick Cardona. Hey, Nick. Alex, um, I think the one you know striking thing from this intro is decisions are made by those in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's uh, an important point that needs to be made. Um, decisions from this country to, to local elections to anything that you can imagine, any decisions that you can imagine are made by those who participate and who are a part of the discussion. Um, and I think that's the point that we're stressing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of that room, we're in that room, and we, we, should, that in, room. we should introduce ourselves in our, our, our debut episode here. So, yeah, of course. Uh, why, don't, why, don't you, why don't you go first? Well, uh, Nick Cardona political junkie so what I what I do for a living is I do politics I report on politics uh, create videos that emphasize uh, how other sides of, of uh, different issues how, how they view politics and how they view certain policies and certain uh, issues and I think the main goal for this podcast is to understand other sides and I think that that's what we're going to do and that's what I've done in my short career uh, in journalism and in communications, and uh, and I think that's what I'm going to do with this. That's what I want to do. And I'm Alex Garofalo. Uh, Nick and I go back to to Syracuse University, where we were a, a couple of communications majors there, and and uh, among other things, uh, started a political talk show, uh, Talking Points, which is still going strong. I'm it happy is. to see. It is. Yeah. I and since that time, I've been a reporter. Most recently, at International Business Times. I'm uh, c- currently transitioning to a new gig, but I'm going to keep that under wraps for just for this episode anyway, till uh, until things are more fleshed out. But um, but yeah, we're a couple of political junkies, and uh, th- th- I think we we're trying to to have a discussion here that that uh, that takes a, a fresh perspective, that tries to kind of uh, circumnavigate around some of the partisanship and some of the gridlock. And, and try to dig a little deeper into how people actually think about whatever issue it may be or whatever, or the political system in general, and try to uh, probe, you know, pr- probe how people are actually thinking, how people are actually voting, and, and, and why. So, uh, and I think it's, it's also important to, to note that, you know, we, there's so many other, uh, you know, either cable news shows that are talking about the horse race and talking about campaigns on a daily basis and what, Trump said what Clinton said what all these Senate candidates said uh, and I think that the problem is is that too many people are focused on that and not with the issues at hand so I think that's what 
we want to do in particular is kind of ignore the horse race. Yes, it's important. The horse race is always important. It's always important to, to know what a candidate said on a given day. But what's also important is what is, is the issues that they're arguing for and the policies they're, that they're advocating for. So I think that that is what we also want to do and what we want to achieve with this podcast is not focus on the horse race as much, focus on the issues that are kind of surrounding the horse race, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as, I, as I said in my, in my uh, rambling intro, uh, you know, every issue comes back to voting. There's, there's really yeah. nothing that does I mean, when you talk about politics, you're talking about legislation. And, that's, and, it's, and whether you're voting on legislation directly or whether you're electing representatives, it all comes back to voting. Um, and, I mean, I've made it very clear where I stand. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I believe you agree with me for the most part, Nick. But, I mean, why... Let's talk about why people think they shouldn't be voting or why people think it doesn't matter that they vote. I mean, that's, that is a, a fundamental problem that a lot of people face is why should I vote? My vote doesn't count. It doesn't matter. And especially with uh, you know the Electoral College being what it is, it seems like your vote doesn't matter. I've had countless conversations with people in New York, a blue state. Who say why am I? Why should I vote? I'm a I'm a Republican or a Democrat in New York. It's going to go blue anyways. What what does it matter? And I think that therein lies, uh, in my opinion, a myth. Because yes, New York has traditionally gone blue. It's a pretty blue state. We living in New York City know how liberal and progressive it is. Uh, but it affects down ballot races. You mm-hmm. you mentioned that to me before, and, and and we've talked about that on countless occasions. It it affects down ballot races it affects turn like overall turnout in the state and i think that uh i do agree with you but that there are qualms that many people have about yeah. voting well i think it's two prong right now especially this election really yeah. really in general but especially this election where you have people that think the voting process is counts them out you know electoral college or, or states that you know always go blue or you know things like this where they think they're they're such a small piece of the pie, their contribution to the process doesn't matter. Then you, I think what you were seeing increasingly over the last few election cycles and, and really culminating in this one is this. I'm so dissatisfied with the specific people on the ballot. I don't believe in anyone over, the, you know, none of them, none of them is the perfect candidate to me. None of them makes me feel good inside like right. Obama may have in 08 or how Reagan may have in 80. And, I wh- why should I vote for someone I don't believe in? Right, um, and I think that I think they're related, but I think we should we should kind of parse through both of those those issues. Yeah, I think I, I read a I read an op ed today by by David Brooks, um, a conservative guy, mm-hmm. very conservative guy, has attacked President Obama yeah. on countless occasions. But uh, don't tell Trump supporters he's he's conservative. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he's, exactly. He's um, injured himself with some of the some of the. Uh, some some facets of the right wing yes. in this election cycle. Yeah, and I think and 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 Brooks points out uh, a lot of a lot of good on on the Republican side and a lot of bad on the Democratic side. He has over over his career. Yeah, but he read he wrote a, a piece called "I'm I'm going to miss Obama." Mm-hmm. All right, you know, and his overall point was we're all going to miss President Obama because he kind of instilled this this uh, integrity to the office. He instilled this uh, hope and change message and, and all of all of the, the glitz and glamour of a campaign trail, and he did do that. And 
I think what you're what you know to your point about these two candidates and Trump and Hillary, you you are truly you know people don't feel like these two candidates speak for them. They are extremely dissatisfied. You have the two most unpopular candidates in American history. A lot of people are going to stay home because they just don't see eye to eye like they did with President Obama. They don't see, you know, the whole, can I grab a beer with this guy or this girl? You know, that's that's the feeling that a lot of voters have, and they feel like they're just being cast aside for voters that are more, you know, Washington insiders, if you will, that, that, that are, you know, and I think that's that's where we find the problem with, with people who don't want to vote is because they feel dissatisfied with their candidates. And, and well, and two, but two problems really kind of leap out at me when you, when you go down that road. One is to say, I am so disillusioned by these two candidates, I, I can't imagine voting for either one. My estimation, not voting for one of those two candidates, sitting home, watch, and just watching the results on CNN, has uh, zero effects on if one of those two people is going to end up altering the course of this country for the next four years. Whether you vote or not, it's one of those two. There's not, there's not, like I said, you know, unless, about I'm, Gary Johnson. <laughs> we can, we can get to Gary Johnson later. <laughs> we, we can get to this idea. We, let's talk about Gary Johnson. And later. rock star turned, you know, Green Party candidate Jill Stein. Because I think the protest vote is a related issue. I think the yeah. protest vote is, I think, leagues better than, than not voting. I mean, I think being part of the political system is ideal, and it, and it shows you're there. It, it, I mean, a lot of the problems I have with not voting, voting for Gary Johnson and holding up the middle finger to Clinton and Trump, you know, there's, there's, pro- there's productivity to that that I don't think there is in staying at home. But I, with Gary Johnson, I feel like you get into this conundrum where people are claiming they don't want to vote for a candidate that they don't believe in, and so, but they're voting for a candidate they barely know anything about because he's not – because he's – you don't believe in those two right. when, when you're not really giving this person the, the requisite scrutiny. If you did, in my opinion, some problems with Gary Johnson emerged. Yeah. And I don't mean about left or right. I just mean basic competency and, 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 you know, the breadth of knowledge that I believe someone should have to step into, especially the foreign policy part of being president, which is obviously which massive. Is, yeah. Which is either, what is Aleppo. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> We, we can get to that because I think that's a related issue. Yeah. But this idea that you pulled up an article, I think, right? Like why what, – what do people think that they're achieving by not voting? So well, basically what – you know, uh, th- this was an article on, on, on Bloomberg uh, and it was kind of an opinion piece uh, in, in 2014. Uh, and, and they made an argument that, you know, you're, you're not going to be informed about the candidates or the issues. So that's another a common misconception. As well. well, it's not a misconception. A lot of people feel that way, that they're not informed on the issues. They're not informed on the candidates. So then why should they vote at all? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's another problem. Like a, That's a springboard to another problem where the education factor in this, where people are not paying attention. People are really just disengaged. And I also think that has to do with the horse race aspect of it because you have CNN, you have MSNBC, you have Fox. They're all covering the horse race and they're not covering the issues. Mm-hmm. So what do people know about the candidates? They know that Trump said this about Miss Universe. Right. They know that Clinton called Trump supporters basket of deplorables. They don't know what the, where their candidates stand. And that's the same thing with Gary Johnson, your point exactly. Mm-hmm. You have Bernie supporters that are saying, I'm going to vote for 
Gary Johnson when Gary Johnson even Bernie Sanders came out and said Gary Johnson doesn't believe in what I stand for anything you you have you have you have Bernie Sanders who is who is a it was a socialist Democrat who is all for this heavier hand with the government assisting people a greater social safety net all of these all of these things that are you know result in higher taxes I mean if you're if you're a full-fledged Bernie Sanders supporter you you believe in paying more to get more right from from the system to, to someone who wants to abolish the majority of the, the departments of, of the executive branch, you know, to abolish the Department of Education. Who is a libertarian and a right. Republican. Right, get yeah. rid of Get rid of the majority of taxes. Get rid of income taxes. Right. You, know, you could not have polar ideological, more more ideological opposite views than, than um, Bernie Sanders and Gary Johnson, other than on a couple, you know, specific social issues, like, you know, they're... they're they're proponents of gay marriage, where a Republican candidate might not be. But I mean, right. th- you're you're picking out a couple issues where, in, for the most part, they are ideologically totally opposed to each other. Yeah. So I I, to- I, to- I totally agree with that. But to your point about being informed and the horse race, you know, and w- what is the nature of a horse race? Is that you know who's it? this person's ahead now? This person's ahead now. Now Trump's up. Now Trump's down. Trump's gaining. Trump has the momentum. And polls, you, polls, polls. And it, and what does that tell you? It doesn't tell you anything about an actual candidate, whether you agree with their agenda. It tells you who hasn't messed up publicly yeah. recently. And some, and and you know, not every scandal is unimportant. No, and, no I mean no, certainly, no. Some, you know, certain scandals that be, that play into the horse race politics reveal traits or histories or tendencies of a candidate that are important, but. Just the idea of just something happened and how is it affecting the polls and who has momentum is, is just really telling you what people are paying attention to, which is, which is a kind of a manufactured uh, perspective by the media. Then, you know, what agenda, what platform are people really buying into? Right. And I think, you know, I mean, the other one of the other major things that I found in that article uh, kind of concerned local elections in local districts. And I think that's another key point that we have to examine, where one of the reasons, the five good reasons not to vote, as this, as this article is, is titled, none of the major races in your district are competitive. Mm-hmm. But isn't that, to me, that, that's just, it, it's kind of ridiculous because the reason why they're not competitive is because no one is voting. Yeah. And, and I think that, in and of itself is a problem. And a lot of these local elections have low turnout, whether it's mayoral races, whether it's city council races, whether it's congressional races, even Senate races. I'll get I'll get that. I'll give them that. They are they're they're surrounded by low turnout, no matter where you go. Right. And that is a problem. The reason why they're not competitive, the reason why senators and representatives always get ele- always get reelected and they don't have competitive races is because People who wrote this article, people like that, are saying don't vote. Right. And I think that's a problem. It's a major problem. Uh, the down-ballot races are, are very important. And and I, I think that there can be a misconception that that's just about partisan politics, too. It's just, you know, Democrats versus Republicans. But, I mean, it, 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 all right, so people that tend to be very dissatisfied with the system also tend to be, well, not all. But a lot of them tend to be very, or also very informed. You know, it's a lot of people that will, you know, watching The Daily Show and Last Week Tonight and that, you know, pay attention to alternative media that highlights, or comedy, that highlights the hypocrisy in the system, that highlights the corruption. And, it, you know, it's part of what fuels you going, well, screw all these people. I don't want to be a part of this process. Yeah. But, I mean, 
so many of the problems that they highlight come down to local media. I mean, sorry, come down to local government. Yeah. Uh, whether at your you know municipal level or state level, and those races are so important. And when I kind of opened up here, I talked about how you kind of have to change what we expect to get out of an election. And I think one problem is we have this idea, and I don't know. You know, I'm not a I'm not a historian. I haven't studied this, and so I don't know how far this goes back and if it's new or not. And I would, we would welcome. Uh, a perspective on that but but you know this idea that like everything is supposed to be solved with every election that we're supposed to have the perfect candidate that we're supposed to have the candidate that agrees with every single line of of how we would like the world to change and that a person not promising to fulfill all of that i don't or, you know is is not worth a vote right i mean elections elections compound on each other and, and, you know, you, you see this in the real world. I mean, it's observable. You, you see how the, the midterm elections undermine President Obama. And whether you think President Obama's agenda was, was productive for America or would have been harmful for America, it is plain to see that in midterm elections, Democratic voter turnout fell. Republicans took control of Congress and were able to kind of obstruct his agenda. And... So this this idea that like you know Clinton is imperfect, all right? Say you're say you're a Democrat, or you're left leaning largely. I won't say Democrat. And these candidates could not be more more opposed, you know, on on the issues, right? So it's you know whether you think they're both equally bad, they're both equal. If if you think that, they're equally bad in very different ways. And to you, chances are. You agree, you know, okay, so maybe you think Hillary Clinton is this corrupt, evil, malicious, self-interested person. And you, and, or maybe you think Donald Trump is this egomaniac who is just uh, wants this on a power trip and is not really capable of governing. Regardless, they have platforms that are out. Now, well, now one candidate might have a little more detailed plans for a platform. Well, we won't go but, into that. <laughs> That's for another day. <laughs> but they're there. They're, yeah, these plans yeah. are there. On their websites. And, and... You mean you either agree? You, you there's no way you don't agree with one or the other, and or at least the direction right that you that right and take. and yeah. and like I said, there's no world in which one of these two, well, unless you're ready to go grab the gun, and you know like Alex Jones says, commence a revolution or something, and and I, you know I have no doubt that there are people out there that are, but we 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 tend to think of those people as extremists. <laughs> I think that's the but, right word to describe un- them, yeah. But unless you're willing to do that, one of these people, and even if you're willing to do that, frankly, because what are the odds of that being successful? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, one of these two people is going to rule the country. We'll have another episode on presidential assassination. And whether you think Clinton is, uh, part of Clinton's agenda is to make money and benefit some of her friends with what she wants to do. If you agree with those things happening, to some level, it's your kind of civic obligation to 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 side with that or if you think that i mean if you do think what trump's policies are the right policies you kind of have an obligation to 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 buy into that i mean with a little bit of leeway in terms of like fit for presidency like fit to be the symbolic leader of this country i mean i understand that but i mean this is what we have i mean and i can show you data like i pulled up all right it's electionproject.org it's a florida professor that, that kind of you know, compiles all this election data. And you can see the the turnout rates by, like, age and race in presidential and midterm elections. And it's, like, such a drastic spike between, um, 
between presidential elections and midterm elections. It's like by like 20, 30 percent by like right. minorities. I mean, and that makes all the difference. Well, and then you also, I mean, this is a discussion that we can have about the about how the media pays attention to it is because you don't see a lot of coverage in midterm elections. You have one election night a year, an election night in America on CNN for the midterm elections, and then that's it. You don't get the everyday coverage of, of what all these candidates are saying, how, you know, you get polls. Every once in a while, you get the latest poll breakdown. And that's why you see people that are disinterested. They don't care. They honestly don't care about midterm elections when they should be that's the only that's really what they should be care, caring about you know i i think that bernie sanders i mean i guess trump to some extent on the right but bernie, bernie sanders really mobilized people that i think were formerly disengaged with the political process even that obama maybe didn't quite tap into or or you know he at least retapped into them in a way hillary clinton is not i mean despite despite her success in the primaries and her you know apparent lead in the polls I mean, I don't think you can argue that the enthusiasm he tapped was something new. But, you know, he he could not have said more times that it wasn't about him. That, you know, that he, you know, that he was trying to lead a revolution and that it would be essential to, even if he was elected, to for him to make good on what he wanted to do, it was going to require a level of vigilance and and kind of just like civic responsibility on behalf of everyone who voted for him to stay informed to keep the pressure on the on Congress to to display the public mandate for what his policy proposals were, and you know he lost, but like that principle is true, and it's why he's siding with her. Is this you know he's made he plainly said it is better to have an ally in right. the White House than to not have an ally in the White House. You know Democrats win the Senate, Bernie Sanders is likely to become the uh, the chair of the the budget committee of the senate the budget, I, I yeah, the senate finance committee yeah. and that gives him power that gives that agenda power and hillary clinton is running on, on an agenda that is that was visibly pushed left because of the sanders campaign and right. that's because people are coming out and voting yeah and if those people don't come out and vote that push and that momentum doesn't happen i mean you see right there what voting even if it isn't going to maybe result in the the it isn't going to lead to the optimal result that you want. You know, there, there is an impact. There is a elections compound. Now, now the democratic party is pushed left. You don't think that in four years, another, you know, kind of socialist leaning democratic candidate is going to emerge and go, Hmm, what if I get ahead? What if I do this earlier than Bernie, you know, Bernie Sanders laid the way, paved the way for people kind of accepting this kind of a platform. You know, what if I do this in a, in without, having to run against Hillary Clinton's kind of name recognition and the whole, the kind of momentum and lead she had with donors because people knew she was running for four years. People are going to do that. Well, Bernie's not going to go away. That's the thing. It's like, he's not, you know, this is not just his race, his one race. And then he's just going to like, not even be involved in the presidential process. Four years from now, if Hillary Clinton is elected president and she's running for reelection, he's going to be out there campaigning for her. Mm -hmm. He's going to be out there pushing for down ballot races. He'll do that in two years. Mm -hmm. He'll do that in four years. And then he'll also be, if there is a candidate that say, for instance, in eight years even, and there is a candidate for president, a Democrat, and is trying to succeed Hillary Clinton and is a little bit more, you know, progressive, he's going to be out there again. So that's the whole thing is that your the movement is it's not going to go anywhere because you're going to have Bernie, you're going to have other like-minded people that are pushing the party further to the left. And then I mean it, at least the Democratic Party when you're looking at the two-party system, it's 
it's a little bit more clear about where they stand, I think, than, than you have so much in, internal struggling with the yeah. Republican Party. And then again, I mean, I think it all comes down to turnout, voting turnout, because people are now paying attention to the issues because of Bernie. Well, that's that's what matters, right? Bernie is turning out all these young people. So now all of a sudden, all these young people are at the polls. So now all of a sudden, Hillary Clinton can't run on this kind of old school Democratic platform because she's got to cut into some of those young voters. And so she kind of moved to the left and just enough to kind of stay to keep Sanders at arm's length combined with, you know, some kind of inherent campaign challenges he had as far as not being nearly as famous coming into the race as, as, as she was and not having the money for a while. Um, well, he eventually kind of caught up almost with individual contributions, which yeah. is pretty impressive. But, but the point being, now all those young voters are on record, at least in the Democratic primaries, and we'll see what they do in the presidential election, and we'll see what they do in midterm elections, but they're on record saying, we will vote, and these are the issues that will bring us to the polls. And you kind of have to show, whatever, whatever demographic you're a part of, or whatever multi-demographics you're a part of, you know, you kind of have to establish yourself as a voting block that is going to weigh in if you want politicians to cater to you. Yeah. You, you, and you, you might not get exactly what you want this election. Clinton is not the candidate many on the left want, ideally. Yeah. And Trump and, is the same and way on the right. certainly independents. No, no. But if you, want, if you want to get closer to the candidate that you want, You've got to show up. You've got to make yourself known. You've got to have the Democratic Party on their post-election, post their election post-mortem that both parties do when they look at who voted and they look at why. You've got to go, you've got to have them going, well, we have, all these young people are now voting. They're not just vote, not, not just 50% of them to 70% in older demographics, but, but they're voting 70, 80%. And we can't ignore their 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 interests because we won partly because of them. Right. And 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 there's no and what if you know there's no reason to suggest they're not going to vote again. Yeah. And suddenly they got to cater to your interests, and th- that might not ha- that might happen over the course of a decade, but that guarantee you that'll happen if you're showing up in massive numbers. What I can what I can say is that no politician is going. Oh man, none of the young people voted. That really makes me sad. That I really take that as an insult. Yeah. And I, I'm going to, you know, you know what? Your ideal, your, your perfect politician might. Like you have your, your once every couple of generations, your Bernie Sanders or whatever, that tap into these kind of previously disinterested groups. Right. But the majority of politicians, and I would argue it's demonized, but I would say it's incorrectly demonized, are going to cater to who votes. You know, you're voted... They're, they're called representatives for a reason. Yeah. They're not supposed to go rogue and find their own moral compass. When when politicians do that and we agree with them, that's we applaud them. But like you think, you know, we don't elect the Martin Luther Kings. You know, we don't elect those kinds of people. Those those kind of ideologically driven people that are, that that want to change and upend the whole system because that's not what the system is designed to do. That that's not where change is supposed to come. That's why when people think of like protesting and lobbying and all these things as like cancers on the either cancers or like alternatives to the to the political process but it's really just the various ways that we put influence and pressure on our representatives yeah but there we get what we ask for every politician they they don't they're not trying to destroy the world they're not trying to make america worse they're just trying to get elected again yeah and if you make it clear that how they get elected again is to serve you 
they will they will fall in line. I guarantee it. And yeah, I and that's yeah. that's kind of a healthy thing. You want politicians that are going to listen to the people that are electing them. Right now, the people that are electing politicians, especially in midterm elections, are all old, rich white people. Yeah, and I think that's that's another point that it's important that you know what what does lower turnout mean for people, mm-hmm. for everyday people. You see a body of government that is not representative of the electorate as a whole because you have a lower turnout of you're not you're not looking at people that are you know in minority communities you're not paying attention to people that are in, in millennial voters you're not paying attention to those people so they're not representative of the electorate you have all the all these representatives and senators that are so old that they've been there for 30 to 40 years they don't even have to campaign anymore that's the thing. They go home, they make a few phone calls, they, they get a couple million dollars in donations, and then they're home free. They run a couple ads, they do a couple events, and they're home free. And it's dominated all of these all of these uh, these local midterm elections and even city council. They're dominated by people who have a lot of time on their hands. Mm-hmm. White voters, right, rich, and older voters. Right. That is just – that's – a plain fact that that's who drives the conversation in midterm and local elections and that hurts minority communities and that's some of the fault is also on the minority communities for not not voting and and because they feel disenfranchised they don't feel like they want to they don't feel like their their voice is heard that's partly the their fault but it's also again that gets into a whole other debate about the educational system in this country and how we don't uh start from a young age getting people involved in politics and i think that's also uh, a thing that that's another topic for another day but i think you have to look at why are people not voting? And I think why and and what the what the lower turnout can mean for minority communities. I think that's. Big, I, I big think big. you make a good point about there, there. There's very legitimate reasons why people are either not informed enough to to want to vote, or or you know. And we also you know there's there's legitimate voter suppression legislation in play in many countries. You know where, where the goal is to make it harder to vote to suppress voter turnout. And, you know, we also have, like, you know, I, I think I read a piece from Fox recently talking about how elections are on Tuesdays because it was convenient for farmers in the 1800s to travel in November on a Tuesday. That's ridiculously outdated. And what and its, and its implications in today's world are working class people that have a hard time getting out of work on Tuesday because for some reason it's not a mandated day off nationally they don't end up at the polls because it's hard and you have to go to work and you have to get that paycheck. And yeah. there's so, so many reasons. I mean, there's so many problems with the educational system and there's so many, there's, there are certainly problems with the political system and the, and, the, and the way we vote and the way we elect our leaders. They don't get solved by not voting though. They no, don't get true. solved by not having a voice. They don't get, they, they, I mean, you kind of have to overcome that. You want to change things. You have to kind of overcome the obstacles and also, the, and the other part of that is, I think that people incorrectly think of like the politicians as this like separate class, as if they were born with like a P or tattoo on their arm, and right. it's like, it, we, we, like the problems that the politicians have allowed to manifest are problems with our priorities as Americans. And there is a there is a you know chicken egg scenario here where like you know we get we put in politicians, they kind of injure the education system. Yeah, you have less informed voters that are less able to kind of realize how to engage with the system in a way to change things. And there's some blame that goes in the politicians. But there's no way you cut it, I think, that there's not some blame on the voter. 
to demand that our priorities be in education or, or in, you know, fixing some of the problems with the system or, you know, that, that, at the end of the day, if there was a majority mandate to solve those problems, those problems would get through. We, 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 we see that all the time. Well, I mean, you talk about politicians, and, you know, that's kind of a negative word, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of circles outside of Washington. I think it's, a, you know, in the flyover states, uh, there are a lot of negative connotations with the word politician. Mm-hmm. But you know what they do? They, they, they go the way the public goes. Public opinion yeah. matters to politicians. It is, it is their drug. When they see polls out there and they see and, and they can make a difference they can try to get reelected with with oh if i vote this way on this bill 85% of my constituents like that so i'm going to do that they love public opinion so if we if we as voters if if people across the country demand our our politicians to to, to go after certain issues then that's what they'll do and like and i think you said that earlier it's like you you have to demand from your politicians that they do this. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's the problem with a lot of people. They don't realize that they have that power because they do. You hear a lot about issues like gun control or you hear about, about legal marijuana or whatever issue where you'll hear this, you know, the majority of the people support it. So why can't Congress get its act together? It's like, well, and this is kind of a parallel with the Electoral College problem. Or you know the argue you know what people would say is a problem with the electoral college. But politicians aren't accountable to public opinion. Straw poll: 53 percent say yes, fifty percent say no. They're accountable to their dis to their to who voted for them. Right. And the majority of people aren't voting. Well, a, a majority are, but a but a at least in presidential elections, I think it really actually dips below fifty percent in in midterm elections. It gets down to like the high thirties. I think I saw. Like I think saw. I saw something. It was between thirty five and forty five percent in local elections mm-hmm. and midterm elections. So it's pretty. Yeah, I have. I have something from Pew Research here. You know, let's take a country like we'll take Denmark or you know a, a particularly progressive country, the kind of country that Sanders was made fun of for trying to make the U.S. more like. More like a Denmark, more like a, you know, 83% of the voting population, you know, the, the percent of the population that can that can vote, 83% voted. U.S., 53. So, the people are not voting. So people, I mean, so, and who and who is that? By, by and large, it's white people. By and large, it's more, high, more highly educated people. By and large, it's richer people. Right. So... And that's what that, that's what matters. Like that is what's got to change. It's it's great that you can say I support legal marijuana, and you can be like, look, the whole the majority of the country feels this way. Why won't the politician do something? Well, the majority of the people voting don't feel that way, and and the major and and a and a sizable sizable percentage of the people that support this policy in a poll aren't showing up to make their voice heard in an election. And it all sounds very cliche. It all sounds very idealistic. Your voice and your yeah. your role in the democracy, but it's fucking true. I mean, it's it's how it works. Yeah. I mean, you you look at like uh, and I let you I let you kind of pick up on this pick up with this because you I know you looked up some like uh, specific election stuff and how the impacts of voter turnout and what it did. But like, look at an issue like um, the Affordable Health Care, the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. And. I mean, there, there, there are some serious problems with the legislation that that's that's certainly come out recently. But there, but there's also just like 
in, in just terms of people getting insurance, there there are governors, Republican governors all over the country that blocked so many provisions of that of that act and blocked the Medicaid Medicaid expansion. Governors that won slim majorities, and it's like you, you issue by issue. That's just one issue, healthcare. But you know, a Democratic governor gets in, embraces Obamacare. That's millions of people and more millions more people in that state insured. And that's what I. That's when you get back into what I was saying about, you know, look at the agenda, look at what the people want to do, and and obviously you've got to pay attention to all of those personality things and all of the scandals, and, and you have to weigh, is this really, does this outweigh what this person wants to do? But at the end of the day, when you, in the, in our current system, until we change things, which would only happen with crazy voting, but uh, <laughs> one of those people is going to be in power, and you have to kind of. Look at what they want to do and buy in, and then after, and the day after election, yeah, then make you know, be vigilant about potential Clinton corruption. Right. If she doesn't make live up to her election promises, protest. Read the fucking news between in the three years before another election year, so you so you can see in real time when things aren't playing out the way that they're supposed to. Know who's responsible in Congress for it not playing out the way you want it to. Who's Who's complicit in the kind of crap you're so afraid that Clinton is going to do or so afraid Trump's going to do and vote in the midterm elections? And I also think it's, you know, and I, I've talked about this before, it, it, immaturity. I feel like there's a level of immaturity among voters who just don't want to vote uh, because they, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the things, you know, if you continue to complain about the system, you know, if you're complaining every day about your candidate not doing what you want them to do and you're not a registered mm-hmm. voter or you don't vote or if you're a registered voter and you don't turn up to the polls, I don't feel bad for you. To be honest, I don't. And a lot of those, you know, disenfranchised voters that, that feel like they're not – that the system is just truly, you know, going against their their interests, you know, don't complain to me. Vote. You know, I mean, it's just like President Obama said it perfectly at the convention when mm-hmm. when people started to boo Donald Trump. Is it don't boo, vote, right, right? And that's that is a big, big, big problem where people continue to boo and hiss and complain, and it drives me nuts. It's if you really want to make a change, and if you continue to complain to me that that you're not getting insured, that Obamacare premium, that your premiums from Obamacare are going up. You complain to me, and then you don't show up on election day to vote for your candidate, whether that's a Republican or a more a Democrat that's kind of a little bit kind of running away from Obamacare. Then you know what? You know you deserve your premiums deserve to go up. You know it's yeah. you need to make the change. It's not the politicians will listen to you if you make if you make it happen, especially local politicians. One of my favorite stats is you know look, looking at uh, two thousand two thousand four mid two thousand fourteen midterms. Congress has an eleven percent approval rating. And ninety percent, ninety six percent incumbent reelection rate. Yeah. And what does that tell you? It tells you everybody hates the system. Nobody thinks it's their fault. Right. Nobody thinks it's their representative's fault. Well, guess what? The majority of you out there, if that's how you feel, if the ninety the eighty nine percent of you that aren't happy, the odds are, it's your guys. Your guys are responsible too. So, and it, and that's on you. I mean, the same principle of you know, I don't want to put in the effort. Because what I want to see is not happening overnight. That's lazy. Oh, it's that's lazy and it's immature. Yeah. You have you. You know, th- change doesn't happen overnight. 
Yeah. If you're if you're unable to see, I mean, let's again let's go back to like the Sanders Clinton thing. If you think Sanders is the future and you're mad at the political class because it doesn't more reflect Sanders, who you think is a straight shooter and who you think has got the progressive policies of the future, if you're incapable of seeing that Sanders near takeover of that primary. Whatever you want to allege about the Democratic National Committee's bias or any of that stuff aside, he was right there. And that's not going away, just like Trump voters are not going away Wednesday. And if you are unable to see that as progress, as as the votes mattering, then you are being way too short-sighted. You are acting like you are buying into this media horse race hype that this this election will decide the future of America forever. And it's going to decide the course of America for the next four years. That's all. It's not, not the country is not going to collapse. Probably not even if the Donalds in, in office. You know, as my favorite Republican out of the seventeen that ran, Ben Carson said, uh, "The always entertaining Ben Carson." Uh, he said, when asked, "What if Trump wins?" He's like, "That's eh, only four years." Right. <laughs> and and I think that that's that's it kind of rings true a little. It's bit. both. It's, it rings bo- true. it's both ridiculously. I mean, depending on your your intent and context of saying something like that, it's either like recklessly ignorant or insightful. <laughs> because like, yes, will the president be able to do a myriad of important things in those four years that it, that I think it's vital? I mean, we're here arguing for voting. We obviously think that the outcomes of elections matter, but it isn't like win or go home. Like, the Republicans have lived eight years under Obama, hate everything he stands for, even things they used to support. <laughs> and you know what? Like, it has it all hasn't collapsed. Like, they, they, I mean, they're 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 still here with. They still control Congress. They have their candidates not too far out from the presidential race, even though it doesn't look like he's going to win. It doesn't all your your agenda doesn't disappear when one candidate loses, or when one candidate is not the poster child for the kind of integrity that you'd like to see in the office. I you know, with the, despite all the disgust of Clinton, I have a hard time finding a Democrat who opposes anything she really wants to do. No, because she is inherently she has she is a. Um... A mainstream Democratic candidate. Yeah. She's been that way for thirty years. That's what. That's uh, that's a big criticism of yeah. her uh, from the Bernie people. But you have to you have to realize that that she's a Democrat, yeah. and she really believes in everything that the Democratic Party believes in. So if you are even a Sanders Democrat, and I'm gonna uh, I'll call him a Sanders Democrat. I'm not gonna go because f- he's a Democratic Socialist, is what he uh-huh. does. You know, people throw around this like you know, oh, he's a socialist, he's a communist. Okay, let's take a step back here for a second. He's a democratic socialist. It's a little bit different, but that's a topic for another day. But the the idea that Sanders voters, I can't vote for Hillary. You're you're a democrat. You believe in democratic principles. Vote for the woman who is in line with you more. And that that's that's the one thing that I I don't another thing that we talked about Sanders supporters looking at Gary Johnson, the Sanders supporters that are looking at Donald Trump. That is another thing that just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. The guy agrees with you on one thing and that's trade. And he doesn't have a plan for trade. And and that's that's another thing that boggles my mind is you know 
look at look at the issues. Look at where the agenda is. And and if you're a Sanders supporter, Hillary's your person. And if you're even an establishment Republican that's a little bit on the fence for Donald Trump, Donald Trump's your man. He's going to listen to whatever the Republican Party says. I guarantee it. It strikes me as a major hypocrisy and kind of uh, oxymoron of this of the kind of electorate mindset is that you know we hate the horse race politics we we want politicians that are going to actually care about the issues not these it's, and but it, the, the thing is if you are bailing on clinton for sanders or bailing on sanders you know bailing on clinton because you were because you liked sanders or you agree with the majority of what clinton said she's going to do but you're just like oh but uh, i think she's self-interested and she's Corrupt. Maybe she's corrupt or yeah. something like that. You are buying into the horse race politics that disgust you so much. You are basically saying what they want to do is not as important as how warm and fuzzy their their public personas make me feel. And you are falling for the exact thing that you're so disgusted with. Right. You, you know, you, you, you think that the political system is just this big game and you don't want to be a part of it, but you don't want to be a part of it for all of the reasons that you're you're, yeah. you're you are not seeing the forest through the trees right it, it, and and like i think that everybody and i include politicians i mean by no means am i arguing that the political class operates with supreme integrity and exactly the way it should but this idea that there's no culpability on the voter and that we have no say none of these unless i unless you are subscribed to some widespread conspiracy theory that every congressional re- election in the last 50 years has been rigged, which well, I'm more inclined now to think that some people think that way. Yeah. Regardless, these people were elected. Hillary Clinton was elected. This idea that like these are the candidates we're stuck with. No, these are the candidates that a majority of the Democrats. And that's another issue about voting. You you know you you wait till the you wait till November every four years to vote. You don't get to complain about what's on the menu if you weren't out voting in the primaries. If you weren't out. Engage, you know, you want a third-party candidate? Guess what? A third-party candidate has to show some support. Like, this idea that, you know, somewhere independently a third-party candidate is supposed to just, like, attain this relevancy on their own and just emerge two months before the election, and you're supposed to have this other choice, like, God's supposed to just, like, grant you this other choice. Yeah. Like, the reason the political parties are... We don't have a two-party system. That's, like, a misnomer. There's no system. It's what it's developed into. There have been parties that dissolved over the course of the country. You had the Whig Party, that you know slavery kind of ripped that party up in a, in a kind of a similar way that the strains in the Republican Party kind of like make you question how durable the future of that party is when you right. when you talk about how how are the Trump supporters, your, your diehard Trump supporters, going to kind of coexist in the future with your more. Like you mentioned, David Brooks, you're kind of like principal moderate conservative. Well, the never Trump folks, right? Yeah. How how are those people going to get along post right. this election, no matter what happens? And you know that those kind of rifts have destroyed previous parties in America before. Yeah. We don't have a two party system. We have, for the last many decades, been content as voters with these two options. Yeah. And if you think that needs to change. Well, then you need to wake your ass up in the four years in the mid in in the in in between, yeah. and you need to start donating to the third party that you think better reflects your ideas. You right. need to start trying to get that party to have influence in offices that are not just the president of the United States. You again need to vote. Right. Like you, this, you need to create these. I mean, it takes. They say it costs about a billion dollars to run a presidential election. 
Yeah. No third party candidate is just coming out of nowhere. You need to you need to be searching for the options that you want. I, I just don't I just don't get it. One of the things I mean I, I'm going to segue mm-hmm. a little bit to something that we talked about before we uh, before we started here that we talked about the 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 impact of, of voter turnout just as as a as a whole like not not so much for the electoral college but as a popular vote. So what what happens when you have low voter turnout you, you need to run up the score if you if you're a democrat or a republican you want to run up the score mm-hmm. you don't want to lose the popular vote and win the electoral college vote that's not a mandate even if you have a 300 plus electoral college win that's not mm-hmm. a mandate for governing if you no. lose the popular vote in this country and i think that that's the other thing when you have a, a voters in new york where or i'll take you know i'll take texas for instance and texas is a deep red state it's always a deep red state uh, you have Republicans that are not that are probably going to stay home, right? And they don't want to, or you know, or the, the, the Republicans are going, or the Democrats are going to stay home, right? The Democrats are going to stay home; they're not going to want to vote at all. But that's a problem because when the Democrats see that, you know, that Texas is a deep red state that's going to go red, the thirty-four electoral votes are going to go Trump's way no matter what. Then you get a problem with the popular vote. Then you see an instance where uh, Jonathan Carl at ABC News kind of ran through this uh, type of scenario where it could happen again. Mm-hmm. The popular vote could be different from the Electoral College vote. And I think that that is a big problem, not just for Donald Trump because he's going to lose, not just for him. It's going to be a big problem for Hillary Clinton because you have another talking point for Donald Trump to say that this system is rigged against me because the Electoral College is rigged. She won the Electoral College, but I won what the American people want. And I think that's why people in states that are traditionally not toss-up states, you got to vote. It's not just what Donald Trump will say. It's what, it's what Paul Ryan will say. It's what the Republican establishment will say. If you believe in what Hillary—if you believe, you know, you hate Donald Trump, you're a left-leaning person, you're kind of disgusted with Clinton— uh, you're certainly disgusted with Congress and would like to see more more progress and less uh, obstruction, less gridlock, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, Clinton just gives you out, right? So you, you don't want, you know, you live in a blue state, you're not going to go vote because, yeah, she's probably going to win your state anyway. Maybe your state doesn't even have that many electoral votes. You 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 don't think your vote matters? Well, that mandate does matter because if, if she squeaks by, Repub- establishment Republicans are going to go. Look, the voters don't dis they don't hate us. They they hate they hate Trump. You know, they, and they don't like Clinton. They don't want they, they just you know, they're going to rally around the idea that Trump was just this unfit rogue candidate so much and go and we we know people hate her. Look how barely she beat this guy. And go, we are totally justified in continuing to obstruct the democratic platform for the next four years again. Well, a side note for that is is that if, if Paul Ryan is a leading contender for 2020, mm-hmm. then, then and he's still the Speaker of the House for those four years, there is, and, and Clinton barely squeaks by Trump, there is no question, there is nothing getting done at all. And Ryan will set up the fact that she almost lost to this guy, and I'm the right guy for the job, and I can beat her. And he can, that's the thing, he can beat her. And that's what would happen if, if it's a squeak by election, if it's if there's no mandate. And you allow and you allow that statistical justification when 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 turnout's low. Exactly. And and and, and you know which kind of well, you know, let's talk about Gary Johnson. 
because <laughs> you know the whole, the whole idea of a spoiler candidate in a protest vote. If you think that this third party candidate is what you want to see in a presidential candidate, they're competent enough, and foreign policy, domestic policy, you stand behind them one hundred percent. That's not a protest vote. That's great. Even even if you don't think they're going to realistically win, say this person here, they get my vote because they line up, and you know exactly what we've been saying earlier in this in this episode. You know, say that this is what will earn you your vote, and let it be known to the people analyzing this election, to the to the politicians, to the to the parties. I'm here until you appeal to me and and get me over here, or. Or not, you know. Yeah. But if if you are voting for Gary Johnson just because you hate Clinton or Trump and you barely know what the hell Gary Johnson's about other than free weed or whatever, I, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't really know what else he. Should, I mean, Gary Johnson strikes me as a flawed candidate in in many regards. Yeah. And, and and again, it's not about ideology; it's about competency. He he seems. Like increasingly confrontational with reporters, with the scrutiny, media scrutiny. He keeps having these like shouting matches. If you like to look it up, with people that question, like, you know, I saw uh, it was a Guardian reporter, I believe, in a Guardian video pressing him about his tax policy to just kind of just eliminate the the income cla- the income tax, and, and and this you know this kind of radical change. And they were they were uh, pressing about how like no legitimate uh, economics. You know, no legitimate economists think that's a good idea, and all these things. And he's like, and he's basically arguing, yeah, you know, people thought other ideas were crazy until they worked, and like that's a fair point. But yeah, he makes it like a maniac, like he is like leaning into this reporter's face. He's red faced. He's like, he's a, he's throwing a tantrum. Yeah, like he, I think, has similar temperament issues. To the the major, well, especially like you know, to the Trump or the major party candidates, those kind of criticisms. He also has displayed such a glaring lack of knowledge on foreign policy, and whether you like it or not, even if you think that the U.S. should be drastically withdrawing its kind of international footprint, you need somebody who understands what that footprint is to draw it back. You can't have just because it just, be, just even if you think like we need a smaller military, we need to stop all the Trump stuff. You know, we need to stop taking care of other countries. That's fine. And Trump, you might think Trump's right on that, but if you have no idea what exactly the hell we're doing in other countries, then you are not the one who's going to be able to successfully work out that downsizement. Someone like Rand Paul, I think, while you might think his ideas are are a little bit out there and a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do, right. he at least displays a knowledge of what we're doing and i think that's that that was shown in the in the primary debates he does show someone like that knows and he is i think Rand paul is more of a libertarian than gary johnson claims to be and i think that that's that's an inherent problem with gary johnson the other thing is for gary johnson is is that there was an instance on a cnn the, the libertarian town hall when chris cuomo who's a fantastic journalist he, know, he knows the details he knows what, what he's doing he questioned him on that same on that tax policy mm-hmm. And he started, you know, going over a question that a presidential candidate should be able to answer mm-hmm. about his own policy. Yeah. And Gary Johnson's things was, whoa, you're getting way too into the weeds. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, okay, first of all, 
that's what tax policy is. Ask any accountant. Yeah. Okay, it's all about when I talk to my accountant, it's very much like, you know, I don't understand what he's saying, but I trust him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's it's all weeds. It's all weeds. <laughs> it's all weeds. That's all it is. And with Gary Johnson, it might be a little bit too much weed. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's uh, that's a problem that that we that we're seeing with these third party candidates. And well, don't get me started on Jill Stein well, because I can do a whole and thing. And this is that. my point and to tie it into like a previous point that we discussed is like why is Gary Johnson a lunatic you know why, why is he this goofy goofy guy it's because the libertarian party is a bunch of fringe goofy people right despite the fact that there is data i, I should, should have looked it up uh, like that um a large large percentage of the people actually identify ideologically libertarian there's a lot of people in this country who are socially pretty left-leaning if not like disinterested like right. let who who cares who anyone marries even if you're not like are on the on the in the marches for for gay rights or something you're like ah, I don't care right. right there's a lot of people who are kind of disinterested socially but they're conservative economically they're libertarian by by ideology but there's not a lot of people in the libertarian party and I think Samantha B or maybe the Daily Show did like a segment about the libertarian convention. And it's like Gary Johnson being like booed off the stage because he's not like even more extreme about some of these. Like, I, I think because he didn't want heroin to be legal or something like that, where like, yeah. you know, this, this taking the libertarian mindset to its extreme, like there's just be no regulations aren't, you know, anything, any drug, any, anything like that. Right. So it's a bunch of these kind of fringe, goofy people. And, you produce this kind of fringe, goofy, not quite competent candidate. And then you, you sit there and you go, oh, we don't have any good third party candidates because you're not engaging with the process until the presidential election when the battle's already over. Like you need to be registering libertarian. You need to be looking for those candidates in, in your local districts. You need to be growing that party. I mean, it's easier said than done. And I don't have all the answers. I can't. I can't even sit here and tell you this is what you need to do if you want change. But I can tell you that it's all on us. Yeah. That 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 uh, you know, this idea that we that some like hand in the sky just puts puts the two choices in front of us, and like we have no control over it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people try to push that conspiracy theory that we don't have our vote doesn't matter and like you know this is a this is a, a, a predetermined thing by a small group of people in a back room smoking cigars drinking whiskey that's what they're doing they're they're putting these two candidates out there I don't think that's true I I, I don't want to believe it's true and and I don't think it is because it, like that's not you know elections prove to us that surprises can happen Obama can happen. Something like Obama can happen, and that is encouraging to me. Yeah. Well, when people say my vote doesn't matter, what percent of the time would you say are they actually saying my vote doesn't decide this fucking election? Yeah. Like that—that's what it's about, right? Is people, and I think that you know, there's just too much like too much sports and too much entertainment. And I say too much. I mean, that's this is what I do. I mean, I love these things, but like. I think we're conditioned to need excitement out of everything politically. And, you know, sorry, you don't live in Ohio where your vote isn't one of the 100 that decides a swing state or something like that. That doesn't mean your vote doesn't matter. It means your vote isn't the decisive vote. You don't want your... 
if we get to a situation where one single vote decides the election, we're in a bad place. That's a fair amount of division. That's a pretty damn close election. You want, the, I mean, voting is about the aggregate. It's about what we say as a whole society. Yeah, your, your, vote, your vote isn't all important, but your, but your vote doesn't not, I mean, your vote certainly matters. This was uh, Peter Wenner, who is like a conservative think tank person and, and a, uh, a writer, write this op-ed for the New York Times uh, called In Defense of Politics Now More Than Ever. I'm just going to cherry pick a couple paragraphs. Okay, All right, so, I'll just, one of, okay, so it says one of John F. Kennedy's favorite books was John Buchanan, John Buchan's 1940 memoir, Pilgrim's Way. Buchan, who served as a member of parliament for the combined Scottish universities, wrote, Public life is regarded as the crown of a career, and to young men as the worthiest ambition. Politics, he added, is still the greatest and most honorable adventure. These days it would be hard to find a handful of people in America who agree with that sentiment. According to 2015 Pew Research Center, trust in government is one of the lowest levels in a half century. Almost three-quarters of Americans believe elected officials put their own interests ahead of their country's interests. Much of the public is utter contempt for the political class. Some of this is justified, blah, 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 blah. But that is hardly the whole of it. There are very good people who are quietly doing their jobs well and with integrity. I would hasten to point out, too, that voters are complicit in this problem because they choose the people that represent them. The people who plant the flowers have some responsibility for the condition of the garden. Repairing our politics begins with understanding the nature of the enterprise. Alleviating the public's bitter mistrust of politics requires coming to the terms with its mundane realities and limits. If the 20th century American theologian uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, were to command, were to comment on the current state of affairs, he would warn us against cynicism and idealism. Um, our disappointments arise from our excessive expectations. We assume we are better people than we seem to be, and we assume that our politics should therefore be an endlessly uplifting pursuit, full of joy and inspiration and self-actualization rather than endless wrangling, headbutting, and petty self-interest. Politics is less than perfect because we are less than perfect. We therefore need to approach it with some modesty. Politics is not like mathematics, where clear premises and deductive reasoning can lead to exact answers. We would all do better if we took to heart the words of the political scientist Harry Clore, author of On Moderation, who says, There are truths to be discovered, he wrote, but they are complex and many-sided. The best way to get to them is, engaging by, is by engaging contrary ideas in a matter approximating dialogue. That's like pre, like preaching to the choir to me. It's right. just like, the, what do we expect elections to be? What do we expect votes to get us? Yeah. Uh, this, you know, we're all aware of the diversity in this country, racially, on gender lines, on education, on socioeconomic lines, certainly on ideological lines. We're all very opinionated people with all with varying levels of, of how informed we are. How do we expect the majority of this country to elect a candidate and be like, yeah, he's everything I ever wanted? It's just not. That's not how it works. It, it, it's always it's always picking. You know, you, the ugliest way to call it is the less of two evils. I don't really think that's accurate. I mean, but you're always dealing in imperfect choices in politics, and it's always been the case. I mean, go back. You, you want to go back? History has been very kind to many presidents who did terrible, terrible things. FDR put try to stack American yeah. put American. Japanese American citizens in internment camps. Yeah. Lincoln suspended uh, habeas corpus and jailed journalists who dissented against the Union in the Civil War. Like every great president has imperfections and has things that ideolo- ideologically you would go, oh, I don't like that. It's about you know you, you kind of have to divorce. And you know, the horse race always puts the perspective on the persona, but you kind of have to divorce the persona and look at the platform and elect the platform you want. 
and then you need to and then it's you are it's incumbent upon you to spend the next four years or whatever the term is for whatever office you're talking about because frankly i think this goes for any office holding that politician to the fire for how well or not they deviate from that platform and uh, if they fail to hold up their end of the bargain they don't get reelected. And I mean, Bernie. Bernie said it again. I mean, we keep alluding back to Bernie and and kind of giving examples of, of how he ran his campaign. And I, I'll say another one is, is that he said we're electing one of the most progressive platforms in Democratic Party history. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what he wanted to do at the DNC, and that's what he did do. He pushed the platform. So you're voting. He was even emphasizing with his words while he was supporting Hillary Clinton and why he was he was saying the the thing that we're doing here in Philadelphia, is we are putting together the most progressive platform for the Democratic Party ever, which is true. That's what they did. And that is the point. To your point, you are electing a platform. Go with that platform, and if it doesn't meet your standards, vote them out. Vote them out. That's what the whole thing is. People in other countries do it all the time. You know, if you're a Sanders supporter, all of those progressive countries have sky-high voter turnout. Sweden, Iceland. Norway, Denmark, uh, Finland, Belgium, Belgium. All of those countries you idolize politically, they're all voting. They're all voting in massive numbers. So what does that say? What does that say? That says something about where we should be. Where we should I, we should idolize those countries. Mm-hmm. We should idolize the elections, even even elections of of, of national. Like you know, when when in in the UK they have a national referendum on something. When you have a seventy five percent. Uh, a participation or an eighty percent participation in that—that that is, and to us, when I see that, I'm like, oh wow, that's amazing, because I'm not used to that right. in this country. I'm used to forty-five percent, fifty percent. Look at the civil rights movement to Obama. Now, does does Obama's election mean that any any issues with race relations in this country are over? God no, God no. But my point is this: things change over a long period of time. Voting Rights Act of 1965 happened. Thing and Voting Rights Act, you know, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 happened. And you know what? Things didn't. Things didn't just get all rosy and peachy for Black Americans the day after. Obviously not. We're you know we we just you know we both recently watched the the Ava DuVernay documentary, the Thirteenth, about how so much of that legal freedom that was finally granted by those laws was immediately undermined and has been undermined for for decades and right but things are things are better and i would i would i would say trending upward i mean we're certainly better than we were in the 60s yeah right and change is happening way too slow i don't want anyone to misconstrue anything i'm saying is like we there's no reason to be angry i'm constantly angry about how this country handles race but the point is i think the black community is a community, or at least the activist community, has always been very, because it's so because it's always been those issues have always been so pressing to those communities. I mean, you know, when you're talking, I mean, some life and death in, in many cases. Always, it always seems that there's a better understanding than amongst kind of liberal, educated white suburbanites that like politics is a process that takes a long time. You need to keep the pressure on. Like, what is Black Lives Matter? It's just pressure. It's just pressure. Right. And they're one of the tenets of their, their philosophy is they have no centralized leadership. You know, you can't take, you can't identify one person and kind of take down that, mo- it, take down that movement. It's, it's a move. It's a leaderless movement. 
It, it pops up anytime there's injustice and it's just pressure, pressure, pressure. You never stop having the conversation until all the politicians start addressing it. Until And that's how politics works. I, I think because I think when I think of leaderless movement, I think of Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And I think if that didn't really do anything, that just that just didn't really accomplish anything. No legislation was passed. No nothing. Yes, they, they, yeah. they gave a voice and they gave national headlines. Yeah. But I, I think Black Lives Matter, yes, being a leaderless movement, but I think they have surrogates that are always keeping up the pressure on on government and on and on uh, on the media really to cover things like this. And I think. It's a different leaderless movement. Yes, they don't have a national president or a chairman or a chairwoman of the Black Lives Matter community. They don't have that, but they do have leaders mm-hmm. in certain communities and in certain. No, states. They absolutely do. I mean, you know like, I mean, I mean Duray is, is right. obviously your, your your poster child for that. But but I mean, even he just came out recently endorsed Clinton and then was like, "This is not endorsement on behalf of Black Lives Matter." I mean, like they they have their surrogates that they will go on CNN and talk and that will interview people, but. But you know, it's not like I, I would I would contend that part of the difference between an Occupy Wall Street, which I, I think I might view it as slightly more successful than you do, but even still, I, I agree with your larger point, might be because there were just more concrete concrete problems and concrete solutions just inherent in the issue of kind of police brutality that that just solving income equality doesn't quite present as easily. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're when you're protesting the the death of an unarmed man, it's very clear what you have a problem with and what you would like to see stop happening. Right, which right. is a little bit different than what Occupy Wall Street was, which is this much more just broad dissatisfaction with a with a system. But I think in, in that case, and, and and we're kind of getting into a different debate. Yeah, absolutely, I think. that we need to have another another episode. <laughs> but uh, but I but I, I do I, I do think that it is it is important to acknowledge that yes, while yes, the Black Lives Matter, you can point to. Trayvon Martin, you can point to a a uh, a case in in the in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and in a case in in uh, uh, was that Castillo. Uh, you know, you can you can point to these cases and say, yes, that's what I'm protesting, and and it's it's easier in that sense to kind of pinpoint where it is. But the thing with Occupy Wall Street is is that if if you're talking about an issue as complicated as you know income inequality, mm-hmm. don't you need a leader? Who maybe, understands the intricacies maybe. of all this stuff? But my my greater point, we'll have to pick this argument up in another episode. <laughs> my greater point was that the civil rights movement is a perfect example of how slow, and and just relentless and incremental politics is. That you know, if if the black community was hinging on the on one election or one vote of anything or one law. The way some Bernie bros are acting like his loss is the end of civilization, the black community would be in despair because how many setbacks have there been on the fight for equality that is still ongoing? But there's been a lot more progress since 1965 than from 1900 to 1965, and you don't think that gaining more agency in the political system is is helpful in that regard? You don't think the fact that you, you mean you think that Obama gets elected in a world where black people are not voting? I mean, right? It, politics is slow, and voting is an aggregate process. Right. Um, no, I, I do agree with you uh, in the in the sense that the civil rights movement it, it is politics is hard. 
Okay, mm-hmm. we cannot ignore that point. That it is a hard game. That's why a lot of us can't. Whenever somebody asks, "Oh, you know, could you see yourself doing this?" No, I can't. I really can't see myself running for president of the United States because it is a hard job, mm-hmm. and politics in and of itself is hard. Um, that's why you need to become informed. Whether that's just you know reading every day, reading an article every day about what about a policy, becoming more familiar with a policy becoming more familiar with a candidate's agenda, become more informed, and then once you do that, cast a vote that you think deserves the attention that, 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 that it needs to move pro, you know, progress. That's what it is. That's mm-hmm. what politics should be. It's progress. Mm-hmm. And yes, you made the argument before. Sometimes progress is slow, and it's painfully slow, and it makes you angry. It does make me angry, too. When, when I see progress that, that can be done even faster it's not done that bothers me when there's public opinion again we go back to that that says that that this should be happening again voting we keep coming back to this and that's why we chose this topic because all of these issues all of these issues that we're talking about all come back to voting and i think that's what we you know that's what we wanted to get out of this entire thing is that you need to vote to make your voice or to make that progress happen i I will i think we got to kind of start bringing this home so I'll make one more point. You know, if, if this election has done anything, you, you mentioned that David Brooks piece. Um, people, uh, you know, Obama's approval ratings are like fifty-five percent or something. People are people are really feeling Obama in in, in uh, juxtaposed with the two choices that they're they're faced with. And you know, you see you see a lot of jokes about oh, I wish we could just elect Obama to a third term. I mean, I know that's the nightmare of anyone on the right but you see a lot of or that. even Hillary Clinton. You, you see a lot of that sentiment on the, on the left of like ah oh, we don't we don't love Clinton I wish we could just reelect Obama right like being reelected is the ultimate compliment the ultimate sign that you're doing your job right and so how do you square the circle that you have all these career politicians and and you have this much dissatisfaction with the career politician like you, they can see all the criticism on Twitter if they want. And they, I mean, but how do you? What evidence do they have that they're not doing their job exactly the way the people that elected them would like to see it done? Why, if you were in a job, if you, whatever job anyone listening it, it has, whatever whatever you do for a living, if every day your boss came in and was like, "You're doing a great job," like. If you got that feedback every you got promoted every four years, you got <laughs> every you had a, you had a uh, you know you you had a performance review every two years, every four years, every six years, you know, whatever it is, and they were like, you know, we, we've got some issues, but like all around, we, we definitely want you to keep doing the job. Like, why w- would you go? Oh, I got to radically change the way I do everything. Like, no, until you fire somebody. There's no there's no statement is made that the politicians need to be doing anything differently. It just all comes back down to you've got you've got to vote. Yeah, you've got to vote. I, I mean, I think to to bookend, you know, before we get into kind of the closing, you know, argument here, mm-hmm. to bookend this entire episode is really, again, I'll say the same exact line I said right after you read your 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 piece. Mm-hmm. Decisions are made by those in the room. That it that is so simple to me, and it was said to me the first time I heard this was from uh, I was studying abroad in London and I was taking a European Union class, and 
our professor's name was Wolfgang, and he was a German guy, which made perfect sense in every way possible. <laughs> and he said, the reason why not a lot of things get done in the European Union or in, in, in how you know European countries operate sometimes is that people don't people who are representing countries they don't they don't debate they don't discuss things they don't that's the point mm-hmm. decisions are made by those in the room decisions are those made by the people that want to be involved in the room and i think that's what you know we're in the room we're in the room we're discussing this we want people who are listening to just have conversations like this because that's how you're going to get informed you're going to get informed by listening to other people and and having a discussion and that's what i think you know and uh, we're going to keep having conversations here on a on a biweekly basis. That's how we're going to be doing things for the, the meantime. So if you if you enjoyed this conversation and stuck around this long, uh, we invite you to subscribe, to follow us, to to stay tuned every every two weeks. There will be another hour or so on another topic. Um, the website is islesides.simplecast.fm. You can email us your feedback, your questions, your suggestions for topics, your your perspective on anything we've talked about. Um, to Islesides, that's A-I-S-L-E-S-I-D-E-S, Islesides at gmail.com. Um, and you can follow us both on Twitter, uh, which you can find on our website as well. Um, and with that, I'm going to leave it to Nick to sign us off here. Thank you all uh, for listening. I mean, this is an important uh, time when we discuss issues, we discuss policies, we discuss candidates even. Um, and I think the main thing is, and, and I'll leave you all with this is empathy empathy in politics is something that's lacking uh listening to other people um you know when a candidate calls another candidate support another candidate supporters deplorables baskets of deplorables when a candidate calls supporters of another candidate all crooked people i think that just hurts the debate it hurts the discussion um and i think that is what we want to avoid here we want to we want to bring everybody in Bring everybody in for the discussion. That's how you're going to get smarter. That's how you're going to get more informed. That's how you're going to get more empathetic towards people and why they believe the way, the things that they believe and why they choose to, to speak about the things that they choose to speak about. So empathy. Empathy in politics is uh, what we want to achieve here, and we're going to keep doing that. We're going to bring both sides into it. We're going to bring different perspectives, different cultures, and, and I think that that is the key to an informed electorate. So with that... Thank you all for listening.